0: Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. While we are not currently able to run our monthly repair events, Our work with the London repair community is integral to this mission. My name is Ugo Vallauri from The Restart Project. I'm joined today by my colleagues Holly Davies and James Pixton. Today we're talking about what may seem like an unlikely combination, game consoles and printers. And we're also joined by Ernestas Aldirevas from Ecos, who will shed some light on what these devices have in common and why it needs to change. So... There's been so much talk and news about gaming, uh, particularly in the context of the lockdown. And uh, I normally don't really have much time to play a game, but having a son who is gaining an interest into games uh, kind of pushed me to try it out myself. And, but I know some of you have been playing a lot more, and I envy you for that.
1: Yeah, I've been gaming much more in the last year. Um, I wasn't really a gamer growing up. I mostly played Sims on my mom's work computer, um, but this year I've been doing it a lot more. I think in terms of multiplayer gaming, it's nice to be able to hang out with friends without the pressure to be super social and have lots to say. I'm not a very extroverted person and I can find Zoom calls pretty tiring. So it's nice to you know, join a Discord voice call and work together on something but not have to be constantly on um and I also do just have more spare time I'm not leaving the house Uh, and so I I was staying with my boyfriend for a while and he's a big gamer and he encouraged me to try out some games on his PS4 and I'd never played single player adventure games before like Uncharted, Tomb Raider, that kind of thing but um I really enjoy them now and they stress me out a bit sometimes but mostly I find it really relaxing so I think I'll carry that on.
2: James what about you? So I think I've had quite in some ways a similar experience to Holly and um, maybe one difference is that I, I did play games a little bit growing up but I think for me games were always uh, a form of escapism in some ways a way to wind down or relax I've kind of I, I never was really into the more social aspect of gaming until of course kind of 2020 came along um, and then I found that actually games did take on that extra element for me where Uh, I was playing things like Mario Kart with my old school friends, for example, for the first time since school. Uh, And it was a really nice chance for us to catch up without having the pressure of a face-to-face Zoom call, as Holly was saying. Um, And so it's nice just be able to kind of uh, have a shared activity where you can talk and socialize without having that pressure of, okay, now it's time to socialize. But also I've noticed that there seems to be a more general rise not just for me but for a lot of people i know who've never really played games before who are now getting into these kinds of more social games that have exploded over the last kind of 12 months or so um so I've, I've played things like among us or phasmophobia or animal crossing or all these kind of games that have taken on this kind of slightly expanded role it feels for people who just want to be able to connect with others um so i my, my partner is th- the biggest gamer in the house and uh, she has a group of colleagues and because they don't see each other in the office they have a gaming group now where they they, they play things like Among Us um, every every other week or so and it's a way for them to, to catch up and keep in touch even though they don't see each other uh, in real life anymore and a lot of them have never really gamed before so um, it feels like a lot more people are coming into this world who weren't necessarily into it before.
0: And video games because of that like you're not the only two people that got very much into into gaming in the last few months um there's been they've been in the news uh quite a lot uh, the video game industry we read from spring last year has been uh, thriving and making a lot of money and the question is can this continue uh going on going forward then we've heard um, negative impacts uh, related to the hardware supply chain. And this was particularly related to the Nintendo Switch hit by supply chain issues early last year. But even more recently, uh, with in the context of the new PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series SX uh, in short supply, but not because of covid uh we hear about scalpers and others uh, trying to, well, contributing to reducing the supply and not helping people who are trying to get their hands on the new consoles. Um,
2: wh- what do you make of it? Uh, it's really interesting, I think, that uh, it seems with the PS5 and the new Xboxes that uh well, from from what we're understanding, that one of the reasons for the short supply is is partly that demand is a lot higher than was expected, which maybe is a reflection of you know more people turning to games over the last twelve months or so, um, but also the rise of gaming in general. I think the gaming industry is is growing quite rapidly at the moment, um, and you see the same thing even outside the world of of um, Nintendo and Sony, with I think AMD and Nvidia both experiencing. Uh, shortages with their new graphics cards which are very popular with pc gamers Um, and again i think some of those issues are similar so um, i think it's, it's interesting an interesting indication that a lot more people perhaps are into gaming than even the gaming companies were expecting
0: and it's interesting because particularly in the case of the new playstation just before the launch we we're reading sensible commentary uh, by people saying, well, sure, there's a new console, but it's coming with very few new games. And uh, how about we rediscover lots of the games we didn't have time to play with the previous one that we already have, which is a very restart-friendly way of looking at things. And it's hard to understand, uh, you know, this big rush, but potentially, I guess, if you're starting afresh, uh, you're maybe considering the longevity of your investment uh, and so more interested in a 5 uh, rather than a good old second-hand uh, PlayStation 4, for example. Uh,
1: I've also seen um, through friends who are just getting into gaming, um, I think I know a lot of people, a surprising amount of people who bought the Nintendo Switch just to play Animal Crossing because it was only available on that. Um, and so I do, I, I have heard from friends that for the, in the case of the PS5, it's just too much of an investment to play a couple new games. But um, I think maybe with smaller handheld consoles, I've definitely seen the power of like new titles being exclusive to um, devices and people buying them just for that one game.
3: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, my personal experience is very much pointing at this because I have not being a major gamer myself I did however start thinking that the lockdown is maybe a perfect chance to sometimes find this, you know, uh, an escape in this kind of activity too and then yeah with my housemates uh, we decided to Brush off the dust of a uh, old Nintendo Wii that uh, one of them had at home and then hadn't used in in quite a few years and then, yeah, we're we're planning to put that to use uh, to use soon.
0: We talk with some worries about the multiplication of all these devices, uh, not just. Uh because of the strange consequences that this has in, like, getting scalpers involved, but also because gaming does impact the environment. Gaming uses apparently 34 terawatt hours of energy each year, or the equivalent of 5 million cars. This is in the United States alone. And I'm not entirely sure if this is just a reflection of consoles um, or if it covers other platforms, because people are playing on all kinds of devices. Correct, James?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we were talking just before the show and um, just even now hearing about the different range of devices people are using. And um, I mean, personally, I I play mostly on my Mac, which is a controversial uh, statement for anyone involved in the world of gaming. Um, But uh, uh, in our house, we also have a Switch, a PS4, Um, and a couple of older consoles as well. Uh, But I think the stats also show that mobile gaming is possibly even bigger than all of those. Um, And so people are playing games on all kinds of devices at the moment. Uh, And that's not even to mention, you know, VR capable devices that are coming onto the market now. Um, And so all of these devices obviously use a lot of energy, particularly with the rise of game streaming, for example. Uh, So Google and Amazon's efforts to try and, uh, where you can play a game on a remote server with your phone, for example, um, generate a huge amount of emissions.
0: As part of our community uh, efforts in learning more about the impact of uh, the devices we use, James, you've done quite a bit of research with our volunteers on the impact the manufacturing these devices, the consoles, has, but also their use. And it's quite staggering.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so at the moment, we're refreshing some of the environmental data we use on our community platform to estimate the impact of repairs. A small group of us, a few volunteers, we've managed to find uh, lifecycle assessment data for the last generation Xbox and PlayStation consoles. To get a sense of you know the carbon produced uh, in the manufacture and then the use of these consoles, uh, and so we found that manufacturing one of these consoles, PlayStation Four or an Xbox One for example, produces somewhere between ninety and one hundred and ninety kilograms of CO two, depending on which model you you buy. Um, but then using that console over the eight years of its lifespan, um, in the case of the Xbox One, produces about a tonne of CO two in total, which is a pretty staggering figure really when you think about it
0: i guess the only positive data there is the eight-year lifespan which is higher than many other devices that people are using these days (laughs) consoles tend to last longer um, i guess because manufacturers are interested in continuing to make money from selling you uh, their games absolutely Um, but there's other impacts uh holly you looked at this and uh It's not just about the consoles but it's also where the gaming actually occurs not physically in your living room but on the servers
1: yeah i mean there's been a move towards streaming games and cloud gaming and that goes for consoles phones and on pc um it basically allows you to play games in good quality without having to buy a device with amazing specs and all that processing is being done on remote servers using these massive data centers. Um, I think I read on average that you use 156% more energy this way in comparison to local gaming. Um, there are positives in that it might mean less consoles are being bought and eventually ending up as e-waste, but I think we're yet to see what that trade-off actually looks like. Um, I was reading about one studio called Space Ape who have been trying to be very transparent with their carbon footprint. Um, You know, even before we play these games, their development is very energy intensive. Before everyone had to move to virtual meetings, there were conventions like E3, GDC, they would involve a lot of travel, there's a lot of in-person business conducted in the industry. Um, And so this company tracked everything, including company travel, devices, and also their cloud usage, and they found that their cloud computing made up 50% of their emissions and so now they're putting pressure on their energy provider to switch to renewable energy. So um, there are changes that can be made. I mean, I play through Steam, and it means that a lot of my games I play are always connected to the internet. Um, Even if I'm not playing with other people, they're always online. Um, And, you know, I played... I was looking at my Stardew Valley stats, and I have played 200 hours of that game. Um, So it kind of made me think a bit more about you know how to truly play offline i guess
0: 200 hours is quite an achievement on anything <laughs> so the the field is full of um potential for environmental impact and what we don't see enough of is actually getting the manufacturers of these devices, the gaming consoles on board on being more open to more repairable and uh, uh, better regulated uh, devices. Uh, Ernestas, you've been following this and uh, I know that there's quite a lot that you've tried to do um, but haven't been able to progress this as part of your work with ECOS and uh, from our perspective, the European Right to Repair campaign. What What's the big problem um, we hear about voluntary agreements? Uh, what, what's that all about?
3: Um, yeah. So in the European Union, we have this, um, let's say, instrument called eco design, um, which is basically. This tool that the European Union uses to progressively improve the performance of products by setting, you know, looking at the market, uh, saying, okay, we have these best performing technologies and let's uh, set minimum requirements on the basis of that to progressively steer the, the rest of the products in that direction. And so there's increasing, let's say, there's increasingly more and more stringent energy efficiency and increasingly other types of requirements, such as, for example, for repairability. To improve the the performance of products, so to ensure that you know products on that that are placed on the market are are better for the environment when easy technical solutions exist to achieve that. And um, in addition to these kinds of requirements, there's also the possibility for um, some industries to try to present voluntary commitments. So then to to avoid having these mandatory requirements set and games consoles industry is one of those uh, examples where they have come forward with let's say a voluntary set of commitments um, and then those are assessed from time to time reviewed uh, to make uh, them allegedly um, better more reflective of of the realities and uh, and more ambitious Uh, and then they are endorsed or not by uh, in this case the european commission The issue that we see is that sustainability considerations are not, you know, completely not present. So what we basically see is a a really large attempt to preserve business as usual. So, you know, there's very slow paced movement and then the commitments that the manufacturers come forward are very much reflective of just things how they've been in the past. Something that we didn't talk uh, about yet is the fact that of course games consoles are increasingly used for other uses beyond gaming. Um, for example, to stream. Now the new consoles have you know very easy ways of using of, of watching Netflix or Hulu on them. And it just so happens that the games con- the new games consoles, for example, consume 10 to 25 times more energy than a streaming device um, designed for the purpose. And so, you know, we've been telling the manufacturers that, you know, I mean, you're, of course, free to make consumer experience better, but please do consider the fact that, you know, if you give this option, consumers are probably going to go for it and they might not know that, you know, the energy consumption is so different compared to other devices. Um, Another example where we've also been advocating quite a lot is related to times when the consoles are not really doing anything, but just waiting to be activated. So we know also that the the new Xbox and well, in the older Xbox as well, um, have this this, um, standby mode called Instant On. If you you choose that as your default option when you put the console to sleep, that generally draws from 10 to 12 watts uh, of energy just for being inactive. Um, and of course, we know that that's possible to be addressed because the new PlayStation, for example, consumes in a comparable mode um, less than one watt. And then, of course, there's the whole debate about uh, making consoles last more. So, now when we have the new consoles placed on the market, uh, a big goal is to ensure that that doesn't mean that the PlayStation 4 uh, and the the old Xboxes just go to, you know, to the pile of trash, but then can actually be used for as long as possible. And that requires manufacturers to provide spare parts for also those older consoles for, you know, for quite some time. At the moment, that's not necessarily been something that's been endorsed uh, by the manufacturers.
0: That's very clear and also very infuriating. Um, we, how do we change this, Ernestas? Is this because consoles and gaming is not seen as strategic by the European Commission in actually pushing for um, agreements, well, regulations, uh, similar to the ones that are just about to come into effect from March on washing machines and televisions, for example?
3: I think it's a combination of factors uh, where one for sure is... um linked to the to the fact that it's not necessarily seen as a priority product group or market and so definitely not particularly high on the priority list but then on top of that i think there's also the aspect of related to the specificities of the market you know you only generally have well you you have three main manufacturers that are on many points in agreement they have sort of concerted um, way of working and prioritizing at the moment, for example, you know we had two new consoles launched. if you look you looked on the websites of, of both and uh, tried to, trying to purchase it, you would realize that none of the two actually focus on sustainability aspects. So while there you know there's sub pages related to sustainability, that definitely is not key information on which they're trying to compete to be completely fair. It's also not something that has been much on the radar of civil society organizations neither.
0: Perhaps this push for, uh, well, gaming that's happened in the last year might help rectify that. And we've seen finally interest from consumer rights organizations uh, uh, to actually get Nintendo particularly accountable for uh, what's been happening with the Joy-Con of the Switch. And I believe James has had direct experience. If you could tell us what you and allegedly millions of other people have been experiencing.
2: Uh, yeah, so the Joy-Con drift issue is a it's quite a well-documented problem with many Nintendo Switches where one of the joysticks on the console registers false input after a certain amount of time, and so your character will start walking across the screen without you doing anything, for example, or the, the view will shift around, um, and it can make, make the console unusable when it gets bad enough. Uh, even Animal Crossing and Arc's our experience became unplayable when our Joy-Con started drifting across the screen Um, and that happened about about a year after uh, we got the console Um, and so after looking online and trying to find um, official repair solutions not really finding anything from nintendo uh, we decided to try and fix it ourselves so we bought a spare joy joystick and replaced it and that solved the problem for a while but then the problem did resurface after a few months so um it's Quite a frustrating issue, um, and I noticed that in the USA, for example, Nintendo is actually r- repairing these issues free of charge for consumers. Um, so I hope that in the EU something similar will happen.
0: So, so what happened is first there was a big push by in Belgium uh, by consumer rights organisation, and then. Uh, the French uh, Quig- 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 Choisir um, did the same and launched with the help of Beuk um, a lot of spotlight on this, which has triggered almost immediate reaction from the European Commission. Ernestas, is this common uh, that from at consumer level, like we get uh, quite quick feedback on investigating these issues?
3: Um, I think it's an it's definitely not um, particularly common. I'd say it's interesting for sure to see this. It I think reflects a little bit that in the consumer department of of the European Commission, there's definitely recognition of the need for increasingly for, to look increasingly to issues related to planned obsolescence, and you know uh, they are very open to receiving this kind of you know well-backed uh, data that can then allow them to, to look into it. And um, I think there's, there's generally recognition um, there that some issues, you know, are quite clear cut. I mean, recently I've also seen that the same department did a, a study uh, looking at the information on sustainability aspects provided with, you know, a whole range of, of different products and uh, they just came out with results which is also not particularly common because that you know was just published like uh, an interesting piece of information without necessarily any particular hook which is not very common for the European Commission Um, they came out with the with the press release saying that they found 77% of the websites that they looked at to contain misleading or false information so I think it's evident that there is There's recognition of of certain issues and there's willingness to receive um, input uh, that can then, you know, guide certain types of policy interventions.
0: This specific Nintendo issue seems to really highlight the need for a regulatory approach rather than a voluntary agreement type. Um, And I know that you've been pushing uh, against voluntary agreements, not just for game console but also for printers which probably most of our listeners have had some frustrating experience with What what's happening on that front
3: yeah so i think um uh, as, as i mentioned you know there's this possibility of having voluntary agreements and as it happens there are at the moment two of them so one of them relates to games consoles and then the second one is Possibly even even more infuriating, uh, and it uh, relates to printers, a product group that you know is pretty much the prime example of uh, of a product that is just designed to, to fail prematurely, um, a sort of throwaway product by default. Um, and uh, we've been we've been in discussions on you know how to address this issue with the European Commission for some time. Um, earlier last year, the Commission came out with its you know, uh, multi-year strategy on how to increase material um, uh, efficiency, how to increase circularity in the European economy, um, called the Circular Economy Action Plan. And they promised there to address electronics, uh, with the focus being on smartphones, tablets and computers. But they've also mentioned printers, um, saying that this would be a product group that will be looked at if no ambitious voluntary agreement is is agreed upon. Um, So manufacturers have been under some pressure to start making some moves. Uh, Interestingly, however, so far we have seen very little genuine um, commitments to change. And I think to us, it's not particularly surprising, to be fair, because the problem related to printers is that the market as it is designed today where you have extremely cheap printers uh, and printer manufacturers who compete on the cheapest product out there uh, and then make their you know make their profits on the sales of cartridges um, they are not incentivized to change this business model so
0: is there a chance that we could use this new focus on a circular economy action plan to actually campaign vigorously against any sort of voluntary agreement in the future?
3: Um, well, I think, I don't know to what extent there is, uh, I, mean, I think there is recognition in the European Commission that at the moment, you know, the, volu- the current voluntary agreements are not up to the standard necessarily. Um, what I find a little bit Regrettable is that, in spite of all the you know big ambitions uh, to tackle e-waste, to introduce uh, ambitious requirements for smartphones and and other products, what unfortunately happens in this case is that uh, the the big strategies are not followed with um, practical dedication of resources. So unfortunately, very often the reason for which these these agreements continue to be tolerated is purely because the the big statements that are made are then not necessarily there's not enough perceived push from you know media or, and civil society organizations and citizens to to really expect concrete results. So that's that's precisely what we're trying to do with the right to repair campaign and the, and the cool products campaign, which is another one another campaign that we run on on. Uh, more ambitious product policy in Europe to you know bring these kinds of issues to light and then um, show to the European Commission that you know we of course very warmly welcome intentions uh, and we endorse them very much but they need to be followed up uh, with concrete action and that concrete action requires you know um, dedicated resources and and regulatory attention so these things can actually be uh, seen through.
0: Well, looks like. There's no shortage of work for you ahead. and Good luck and thanks for helping us understand these issues. Due to the pandemic, we're currently not running in-person restart parties. We do have a few online events coming up and you can find their details on our website, therestarproject.org. However, if you'd like help fixing anything with a plug or a battery, tag us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, giving us information on the make, model and fault of your device and we will do our best to help. Thanks to OptoNoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. We're here every second Tuesday of the month at 5pm. Until next
2: time!